on, um, we were getting together praying before service. I felt like the Lord put on my heart, and I told our, our staff this and our team that and some of the elders, I really felt like there were people here today, and I know I could say this every Sunday and it'd be true, but I specifically felt like the Lord put on my heart that there are some of you who are coming in with very heavy needs, very heavy things on your heart. Maybe it's just fear. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's relationships. Whatever that is, if you will bow your heads and close your eyes and really fix your heart on the Lord, we would like to, to agree with you guys who came in today and really pray with you for these things. So if you will close your eyes and bow your heads, Lord, we thank you so much, God, that you are so great and you are so good. And the fact that you are good <laughs> makes it so awesome. Lord, that when we talk to you, we don't have to second-guess your nature. Lord, we don't have to second-guess um, if us coming to you and us not being perfect is going to be a deal-breaker. But, God, we can come to you and know that you care for us. You created us, Lord. And so when we have a point of need, you care about that. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that if there are sick in body here, God, that you would heal them. I pray that if there are people who have people in their families who are sick and they come heavy-hearted, God, would you heal the sick? Lord, would you heal the sick of heart? Lord, if there are people here today, Lord, who are carrying around wounds in their heart, God, as they lift their need to you, Lord, as those, broken, those broken things in their heart, God, would you heal them and touch them? Lord, would you be close, Lord, so close that they can feel your presence. God, if there are people here who are waiting on you and they feel like they're just in a holding pattern and they've waited and waited and their, their waiting feels like it's giving out, Lord, would you fill them with courage, Lord, to believe and to hope and to see your promises in their life. God, we thank you for this day. The word of God says, this is a day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. God, we are so happy, God, to be here as your children. So Lord, today, bless your people, be with your people, inspire them to believe, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you, amen. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and put our text scripture up. And that is Matthew 24, 14. Okay, so I don't like to sit in, in services where people make me do and say things. And yet, often when I'm speaking, I make you do that. So you'll have to forgive me on the front end of this. Because I have written, like, up here it says, and this gospel, I actually want you to say this with me. Every time I say this, like say this with me really powerfully because that is the point of today is this. Everybody say this. This. Okay. Thank you. That was so good. Okay. So I'm going to read it. Y'all help me out. And this. gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come, Matthew 24, 14. Okay, so we are living right now in a time, um, a point in time where I do feel, you know, we just sit around all the water cooler talk, or if you can even go to work and get around a water cooler, all the talk right now is, is a lot of it is people trying to figure out what's going on in this world, right? 
Has anybody had conversations like, what's going on? There, there's COVID. There's um, race relations. There's, there's murder hornets. There's Sahara, Sahara dust. Did y'all know about that? That there was like dust in there? Yeah. So there's that. And, there's, and it's like, what is next? What's coming next? You know? And it can be very disorienting, especially in a season where nothing feels normal. Am I right? And so when nothing feels normal, what can often happen is we can often um, be led by our emotions. And we can make decisions, or we can say things, or we can fall apart. And emotions are not bad. Emotions can be our friends. Emotions are things that are indicators to us. So when we have an emotion, um, I've learned this over the years, it is good to think about that emotion. It is good to, to ask questions about that emotion. But one of the worst things that you can do, I have little ears, and I'm convinced one's higher than the other one. Oh, it is. I've got to take off my earring. Forgive me. Okay, so anyway, one of the worst things that we can do with our emotions is to allow our emotions to lead us. Amen? How many of you have ever been led by your emotions? Raise your hand. I feel like all of us should, right? If you've been a toddler, you have done that. Okay, um, so if you, have, if you have been led by your emotions, one thing that you'll notice is that your emotions leading makes life very, very messy, right? Your emotions make life very, very messy. And so when, when I was a young mother, one of the, the things that I learned was um, after having three children, you notice a progression, like, you know, and I know Cece's in here, she is, Kel and Cece, they are going through this. So, you know, you have your first kid, and I had Taylor, the cutest kid. I'd take her out. She'd have bows the size of her head hanging off the side of her head, and she was cute and a little southern, like, smock dresses and, and all, and we'd go out, and we were like, I was like, mommy and me, super cute. Then I had Kenzie, and we'd go out, and it was like me and my girls would go out, and we'd have fun, and it was like, whatever. I had Noah, and then Noah, I was completely outnumbered with Noah. When I had Noah, Noah actually was, it was beautiful. He loved to sleep. He just loved to sleep. He'd wake up about seven in the morning, go back to sleep at nine, stay up two hours, go back to sleep like all day long until seven at night and then he'd sleep till seven at, I mean it's like the most beautiful thing but one of the challenges to that was that when um, I would need to run errands during the day I had this this little routine I think it was like on Tuesdays on Tuesdays I would go to the Walmart and Evans y'all remember when Walmart had a McDonald's in it and we'd have our little like we'd have a, an outing I was trying to make this like a tradition like it was gonna be cute and they were gonna love it and they couldn't have cared less but but we would go to McDonald's then we do our shopping so what would inevitably happen was Noah would get exhausted and he got highly emotional and then he'd lose it and because he's emotional do y'all know there's a domino effect with kids you know yeah, you get it. Okay. First service is like, no, we don't get it. Okay. So when, when, the, when one would go, they'd all start to unravel because now they're irritated because now it's noisy and now I'm bartering with the kids. If you'll just be quiet, I'll, you know, Noah, like, he loved the little match, bar, uh, match cars that you could get for a dollar. So I'm like, please just be quiet. And so I remember one specific morning I was watching the Today Show or Good Morning America or something, and they had a child psychologist who was on, and they're like, do you have trouble when you're out shopping? And I'm like, yes, you know, and all this. 
this. And, and so she goes on to, to really inspire mothers. She's like, what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to talk to your kids before you leave the house. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, talk to your kids before you leave. Tell them your expectation. Tell them what you're going to be doing, you know. And so then when they start to get emotional, they'll have some time frame for what's going on. And I'm like, okay, well, I did it. And it actually worked. And I had this whole plan. I'm like, Kenzie, like Noah is going to get emotional. Now, you are the fun. You are, you are a party. So what I need you to do is I need you, when he gets emotional, I'm going to need you to distract him, to make the shopping trip a game, to make it fun. And so, and then Taylor is like, she's just a helper. Like if I need the, he drooled constantly. I'm outing you. He, so it was like, you wipe his mouth, you keep him happy. And then I'm going to throw things in the cart and we're going to be done, you know? And, and lo and behold, it worked. And it made me think of when Reagan and I were in Youth with a Mission and we went on staff, the staff there, they made us read a book. And some of you may know this book. It's called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I might have butchered the name of that. But it's by Stephen Covey. And the second point of that book was begin with the end in mind. Pretty smart. That's pretty much what, what I had learned to do with the kids when they were little. If I can show them that there's going to be an end, I can kind of map out the day. It's going to help them. Well, this book that's written by Stephen Covey, Stephen Covey's not a believer, but every principle in that is a principle from the Word of God. And um, when you look at the character of God and you look at the Word and you look at what Jesus said to his disciples, you will see Jesus from Old Testament all the way to New Testament, that's why we had prophets, people who would foretell, who would, God knew people are wired emotionally in such a way that they need a heads up. Everybody say heads up. Who likes a heads up? I like a heads up. I even have that on my, my, my watch. I just got like an Apple watch. And like when it's going to rain, it's so beautiful because I can know when it's going to rain. Like it'll tell me, and for the most part it's right, but it'll tell me like in 15 minutes you will know it will start to rain, you know. And so I'm like, that's great. I can be out of the car or I can finish my show. So I just know what's going on. Well, the Word of God is kind of um, written out that way where Jesus knows um, how to speak to his people, to let people know what is happening because he understands that as humans, we are going to need a heads up. We are going to need to know what's going on because if we're not, we're going to get disoriented and we are not going to know what God is doing, okay? We're not going to know what's going on and then we're going to feel hopeless and then we're going to get chaotic. And so that is what is happening in Matthew. Now, you know, Matthew is like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels, and they're pretty much like telling from different perspectives the life of Jesus and what's going on. And so in Matthew, of course, it starts out and Jesus is born. Um, three decades later, he starts his ministry. He begins to preach, um, to teach, and then he is baptized. We know that story. A dove came from heaven landed on him, great, but then automatically, 40 days and 40 nights, he is tempted by the enemy, and after that, Jesus goes and he chooses his disciples, and just so beautifully, God does not go and choose all the together people, who does he choose? Fishermen, messy people, different, not the people that you would think. He didn't go into the temple and say, okay, I'm going to choose him. He's always been pretty good in this. He chooses 
regular people who have varying jobs, who are just doing life to, and, and getting by, and he did not choose them based on how awesome they were. But he went up and he chose people, and some of the messiest people he chose to walk with him, to observe him, to do life, to have relationship with him. And he still does that to this day, doesn't he? If we look in this room and I think of myself, like that is who Jesus is. And so um, Jesus calls them out, and they observe him. He's healing people, and we know in his last week, Jesus will go, he will go into the temple, and we're going to put up a picture of the temple. I like pictures. I figure maybe that's more interesting than me. I don't know. Um, but anyway, so our, our story's kind of going to pick up chapter 23 of Matthew. Jesus will go into the temple. This is like a, a picture of what the temple would have looked like. And um, Jesus goes into the temple for the last time, really, in his earthly um, ministry, he will go into this temple. And in chapter 23, Jesus is actually confronting leaders because, you know, like, leaders are held to a very high standard. And so Jesus will, in chapter 23, he will talk to them and he will say, um, rebuke some of them, and he'll say, you have shut the door of heaven on the people of my heart. You have shut the door with, with your corruptedness. Is that a word? Um, you have shut the door, and, and Jesus is angry. And, and we know that he goes into the temple. He clears it out, too. And, and so the disciples, can you imagine being a disciple? Does anybody love an awkward moment? I don't. Yeah, can you imagine what that would be like? And so chapter 24, Jesus is leaving the temple. He left with his disciples. In the beginning of 24, um, the disciples are coming out, and it says that they're showing Jesus the temple as if he hadn't seen it. You know, they're kind of like, well, did you see? Like, isn't this awesome? You know, it took, it, it did take 46 years to build. You know, when Reagan was a builder, it would take, Average house would take, or a really custom house would take maybe four or five months at the, at the very most. He could build a house in three months, and just the way it is. This, this temple took 40, um, 46 years to build, and the stones were really, really huge. And so I guess the disciples coming out of the temple thought, well, we'll just, like, change the subject, kind of get him out, because, like, Jesus was really heated in there. So they begin to show him. Let's look at verse 2. Of 24 and it says Jesus says do you see all these things he asked truly I tell you not one stone here will be left on another everyone will be thrown down I want us to look like where it says do you see these things because here there's this implication Jesus is talking in such a way that he's downplaying this temple that they're in awe of because Jesus is never super impressed with our things, with how great of a thing that we build. He is not impressed with that. In fact, Samuel um, in the Old Testament was a prophet, and he went to choose a king because Saul, Saul was anointed king, but then he got corrupted on the inside. He wouldn't obey. He got rebellious. And so Samuel had to go find another king to anoint. And so Samuel then goes and finds David. Well, we know about King David. He wrote Psalms and all that. But when, when Samuel found David, he wasn't super impressive. And God has to say to, to say to him, like Samuel, like, man looks on the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. 
When man looks, what makes us comfortable is to see a temple that looked like the, that building, right? But when God looked at, at Saul, where people saw that really put together temple, let's go to the rubble, okay? When he looked at Saul, he saw rubble. You know, Jesus will say in verse 3, he says, or I think it's verse 3, that not one stone will be left on the other. Like, do you see this, how huge and how massive? You know, when I think of a stone, even reading the Bible, even though I know it's not true, I always think of a brick, you know, <laughs> like our bricks. These are stones. Like, this is impressive. It's impressive that one stone is like that, you know, and that people could build a temple with it. And so what God is saying to his disciples is like, you guys don't even know. This, this whole thing is going to be in, in shambles. It's going to be torn down. You don't even know. You know, sev like 70 A.D., the temple was completely destroyed by the Romans. Jesus, what he said would happen, happened. But what happened was the disciples actually went away from there with Jesus after Jesus tells them this prophecy, basically that this temple is going to be in shambles, and they walk away, and can you imagine the disciples, because the temple was such a big deal, it was so sacred, such a sense of pride for, for um, the Hebrew people, and so they walk away, and they're like, what? You know, we know, we know how the story goes, but can you put your place, yourself in place of these disciples who would... Um, who would be like, what in the world? And then they're all talking amongst themselves and later go back to Jesus and say, um, hey, can we, can we just ask you, like, when's, when is this going to happen? Like, when's this going to happen? Wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you want to know that if you were then? And so Jesus begins to give them a heads up, okay? And this is why I say that when you are in the Lord, one of the most powerful things as a human, is to know the Word of God, to have relationship with God, because there are going to be times in your life where things are going to happen, and if you're looking in the natural, you're going to be just completely taken off guard. And then you're going to get emotional. I know Pastor Bowen said years ago, he, um, he was talking to us, and we were talking, just talking about counseling, and he was giving us wisdom, and he was saying, you know, one thing I tell people when they lose someone very dear to them, especially if it's unnatural, like parents who lose a child or something like that, he said, I always tell them, don't make any decisions right away. Don't sell your house. Don't, don't, like, don't make any major decisions right away. Because what happens is in that moment, you don't feel hope. You feel disoriented. And the first thing you want to do is just make something happen. You just want to change something. You just want some sense of, of something. And so what's, what's, what can happen is you just make a, you have a reaction. And so what Jesus is doing here to his disciples is he's giving them that, like, listen, these things are going to happen. So we're going to go through the things, okay? 
we're going to go through what Jesus tells them. And I do not generally do sermons like this. I really like to cheerlead, and I've actually won an award, guys, when I was in cheerleading. I won the Barnabas Award, which means I was an encourager by nature. That's what I like to do. So today's word's a little heavier than what I normally like to do, but this is what the Lord has put on my heart as I observe our world and I see what's going on in our world. I realize that there, we are going to have to get this right. This gospel has not, it cannot be a gospel. It has to be this gospel, the gospel, okay? And so let's look at what Jesus is going to say to the disciples. So there, they ask, when can we, how can we know this is going to happen? So in verse 4 of 24, it says, watch out that no one deceives you. That's the first thing out of the gate. Because we as humans get deceived. You know, I like to think that people who get deceived are other people. <laughs> They're just not me. But you know what? It's very easy to fall into deception because deception normally comes when we want to be comfortable. And when we need things to fit our filter or our narrative, it is very, very easy to be deceived because what we will do is we'll want to anchor in to what makes us feel safe and what makes us feel comfortable. So Jesus is saying, like, don't be deceived. Watch out. Watch out. That means look out. You got to look out. You don't take life as it rolls in. You got to look out. You have an enemy. The Bible says we have an enemy who is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy from us from the inside out. The second thing in verse 5 says, For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. He is, he, he's talking about his church. They will deceive many. Listen, maybe we don't hear a lot of people saying they're in you know, Jesus' day. We like to think Jesus was the Messiah. There were a lot of people claiming to be the Messiah. There were a lot of Messiahs walking around, you know. And so when Jesus says this, but how about even for us, how many people come in the name of the Lord as a representation of the Lord and tell us, and we go back to the things we want to hear or our leans, you know. And so we can be deceived when we draw our alliance with with words from the Lord or people who come in the name of the Lord. But the Bible says to be careful, watch out, because there, there will be many who will be deceived. In verse 6, it says, you will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. I love that he says that, because I, that alarms me, honestly, right? There are wars and rumors of wars right now. From the time I was little, you know, I talk to my kids, and, and sometimes they're like, you know, I'm watching them look at the world through their eyes and the things that are going on. And I think, man, I remember when I was little, you know, I remember my grandparents, I stayed with them a lot and they would watch the news and they would watch. I remember like it was, I think it was in South America, some gorillas, the gorillas. And I was so confused because I'm like, what in the world? The gorillas are, you know, it was like this whole thing that was happening in South America it freaked me out. I think that's a natural feeling when you feel like the world is chaotic and wars are breaking out. And let me tell you, there are wars that are breaking out in our personal families. There are world, wars that are breaking out in our cities and in our, our country and in our world. There are wars and rumors of wars. It's, it's nation against nation, but it's people against people. In every, in every category that the enemy can separate us, he will try to cause us to fight. 
okay? And so in, um, it says there, it says, see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation. That's verse 7. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse 8 says, all these things are the beginning. Yikes. Does that make y'all feel good? It does not make me feel good to to hear that. But this is not meant to freak his disciples out. So this is one of those opportunities when we're reading the word we're looking at, like, okay, what is God doing? Like, we're getting a little nervous here. But he's talking to his disciples because he is literally just saying, like, just stay anchored. Like, you're just going to stay anchored. These things are coming because you asked me when it's coming. I'm telling you, but don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. These things are going to come. Like, you know, listen to the heart of Jesus in that. It says, then you will be, this is awesome, actually. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and be hated by all the nations because of me. You guys, that is a very powerful thing when in a very sobering reality that if you follow Christ, there is a lot of gospels out there that are not the gospel that will tell you if you follow Christ, you will get what you want. There's a scripture in the word that says, that says the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. And there's a lot of gospels that, that portray that as you, God's going to give you what you desire. And that's not what that scripture means at all. The scripture means he will put desires in you. The enemy is always trying to convince us that we're just going to live and have a bundle of desires, and because we love God, he is going to deny us all the desires. And that is the biggest lie from the pit of hell. Because when you follow the Lord, what he does is he causes you to desire holiness. He causes you to desire the things that he desires. And so here we see, like, persecutions coming, and it, it can frighten us. And let me tell you, in this day and age, you will see pastors and major leaders in churches. And if you don't know the word of God and, and, and you are just brought up spiritually on Instagram and Facebook and all the postings or people, even videos of people you like or programs, if you don't know the word of God, it will, you will be easy prey to the enemy. And there are a lot of major leaders who are going to, just like the disciples, there's no shaming in this because we all get intimidated, right? But there are going to be major leaders, as we see the Lord return, who are going to feel what the disciples felt the week, the, the days leading up to Jesus being crucified. We know out of all the 12, there was only one disciple who stood with them. And it was because there was persecution involved. Nobody wants to be persecuted. You know, when I was younger and I was in high school, being persecuted for me was a lot different than now, you know? When I was in high school, me being persecuted meant maybe some people didn't just want to be my friends. Or maybe they just teased me when a topic came up or whatever. But now we're in a day and age where there is, a, there is an increasing persecution And so the Lord is like, if you feel like this gospel is going to protect you from all the things, your emotions are going to lead you into a gospel that is not the gospel. It's not this gospel. Okay? And then it says, many false prophets will appear and deceive many. 
Verse 12, it says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. In fact, I missed 10 on, on verse 10. It says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. You notice it doesn't say people are going to hate each other and then they're going to turn away. It says because they turn away, they will hate each other. You guys, that is the reason we have people who hate people. You cannot be in the light as Christ is in the light. You cannot love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. You cannot love him and hate so the only way there can be even racism in this country is because somebody has turned their back on the gospel and they have walked away and into, into their own way, okay? And so that's how people are going to turn away and they're going to hate each other. But here's the beautiful part of it. We're going to just go all the way down to verse 13. That's my 12th point. It says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's my favorite, okay? The one who stands firm to the end, they're going to be saved. We're going to be saved. We anchor into the truth, into God's word. He is never going to, the Bible says, he is never going to leave us or forsake us. Man, what a fear that is when we feel like we are alone. You can be with a million people who you've known your whole life and still feel alone. Amen? But you have, you have a friend, the Bible says, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We don't even have a sibling. If we have, I mean, I don't know, my kids, I have this mother dream that they're going to be super tight one day because they like to, you know, fight now. But, you know, I do know of families who have super tight children all the time. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. You know, like they're so, because they're not teenagers, they're grown up and they have this appreciation. And so, you know, my husband and his brother are incredibly close, you know. And I think it's so cool because I'm an only child. But, you know, there is a, the Bible says there is, a bro, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. For some of you, you're like, thank God, because mine's not great, <laughs> you know. But God, God doesn't just, he wants to be our God, but he also wants to be our friend. And in a time when emotions are high, that is what we need, is to know that he is not going to leave us, he is not going to forsake us, but he is going to go with us all the way to the end of the age. Amen? All right, so let's go back to the text, the text verse. Now we'll just read it with umph, okay? All right, and yes. gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come, okay? So this gospel is pretty awesome, but I think to myself, when I think, I think, well, what is this gospel? Because I know there's a lot of news. The Bible, or when you look up, like, gospel, what does it mean? Like, some of you know this. Good news, right? I have a tiny ear. It just keeps slipping. Sorry. Okay, so um, this, so the gospel is good news. So it means there's a lot of news, but then the gospel is what the good news, right? And so we want to make sure that the gospel that is within the walls of our, our heart is this gospel, okay? And so I am thinking we can just go through some of the things that I was thinking, you know, so here we go. <laughs> okay, this gospel, say amen if you believe it. Okay, not right now, but when I say it, okay? Okay, if this gospel you received um, 
is uncomfortable and frightening. If it is not uncomfortable and frightening at times, it may not be the gospel. That's true. God's biggest objective is not to make us comfortable and happy. It's a result of following him, but it may not even look like the world's. Because when the world tells you, do this, it'll make you happy, it stinks most of the time because there's so many consequences. By the time you can enjoy it, it's so mucked up anyway. But the Lord says, if you'll sacrifice on this end, if you'll just wait on me and trust me and exercise those weight muscles, what's going to happen is I'm not only going to give you promise, but I'm going to give you unspeakable joy. So when the Lord, the gospel that the world holds is like a microwave. Everybody knows microwave food is not as good. I don't care what my kids say. It is not as good to put your corn dog in a microwave as it is to fry it or put it in the oven and get it crunchy, right? It is not as good to do your own thing and make things happen. It's not as good as a mother to get to be so controlling and so into your kid's life that they can't make decisions and learn to trust the Lord for themselves because we are controlling, controlling, and controlling because we want to make sure everything just goes, because we want to be happy, because we want to be happy, because we want to know that things are just the way we want to be. We want it to be, you know, or whatever that looks like for you. You know, first service, I said something, and, and I think I'll just say it again. It's not in my notes, but I feel like it, it was something that when I said it, I feel like people need to, maybe need to hear it. Some of you may be single sitting in this room, and you're like, I am afraid that if I wait on the Lord, if I truly wait on the Lord and trust him to bring someone into my life that loves God and does what's right, and follows God, if I wait on him, he may not pull through for me. For some reason, sometimes we think we care more about our lives than God does. Can I tell you, God cares more about your life than what you do? And the Bible says he's working all things out. Reagan says that every service, doesn't he? And it's true. He's working all things out for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so you don't think that the God who cares more about your life, who knows better than you, and I'm getting off on a tangent. This has nothing to do with anything. But that he can't be trusted. We think sometimes that every decision we make needs to land in our happiness. When God knows more about what will truly make us happy than what we do. Okay, if this gospel you received is supporting self-focus, it may not be the gospel. If the gospel that you follow has you right dab in the middle of it, it may not be the gospel that Jesus is talking about in his word. Because the gospel of the Bible has to do with us laying our lives down. Because you know what? We have eternity. So who cares if in this life I am not always first? I think that's why Jesus even said the last will be first. It's like, come on now, the last week, you'll get there, you know? You don't have to, Bible, the Bible, the beautiful thing about the Bible is I don't have to look out for me. I have a God who is looking out for me. If the gospel that you receive isn't promoting love for all people, then it may not be this gospel. Guys, we've got to get love right. The Bible says that, that the world will know that we're real, that we love God, who we are because of our love. 
And the world has not always looked, the, the church has not always looked like love. And our people on social media do not always look like love. I cannot tell you how it has broken my heart to see threads, and I finally got off, where people are like, man, I didn't know you were like that. If somebody's telling you that, you need to ask the Lord what is going on. God cares what we say and what we do, and I would dare say... Do not post anything after you feel something. <laughs> Take a minute. Walk away. Have a corn dog. Do something. Okay? If the gospel that you receive cannot be held accountable, it is not this gospel. Who can tell you? Who do you trust? Who can say to you? What the way you're thinking is not right. You know, the Bible says there is um, wisdom. I think this is, this is the correct scripture, Reagan. I think um, there's wisdom in the multitude of many counselors. Okay? How many people in your life will you allow to say things that make you uncomfortable or question what's going on? You don't have to receive everything. I can be held accountable, and there can be people who don't know a whole story, and they try to hold me accountable, but I can appreciate that there are people in my life who feel the freedom to speak into my life, and I can thank the Lord for that, right? If there is any, any spot where you say there's not accountability, that is not the whole Bible's accountability for us. And God uses his people sometimes. Okay, so if the gospel that you hold cannot be held accountable, it may not be this gospel. Okay, so then we're going to go to the gospel, I have this little portion, the gospel the world accepts. Because this is what I'm hearing. I, you know, get on social media and then I get off or then I get back on, like I'll, I'll start watching TV and then I'm like, eh, you know. And so these are things that I'm just noticing, Okay. That the gospel the world would accept from us is that everything must be fair and fulfill happiness. If you look at Jesus' life and he says we're to follow in his steps, nothing about the way he was treated was fair. And if we, if we expect fairness, we are never, ever going to get that, to that goal, ever. Because nothing is fair, because we live in a fallen world, and even the very people in our households are flawed. And there are just going to be times where things are unfair. But the gospel of Christ says that we're supposed to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. The gospel that the world accepts, and I see this all the time, is accept all ideologies that promote free thought. You can love everybody who has a free thought. <laughs> you can appreciate and love what God intended. But let me tell you, you do not embrace every thought that is in this world. Because there is a, an enemy who has dominion over this world. And a lot of the thoughts, I, don't, I believe with all my heart that the enemy knows our wiring. And he's always poking at our triggers. My trigger is very different. I have, I, have, I have my own set of stuff, you know? And you have your own set of stuff. And the enemy recognizes it. And, you know, it's kind of easy 
Anybody who's lived with you long enough probably recognizes your triggers, you know, because it's what you react to or what you respond to or what can make you lose, lose your footing, you know. And so you have an enemy who is after you, and he wants nothing more than you to say that all the things are okay because it dilutes the truth of this gospel. Because then if we exalt those things, then the thing that should be exalted is on even playing ground. It's just a tactic of the enemy. God's ways are higher. The world's ways are lower. Okay? The gospel the world accepts is be quiet about your faith. Live and let live. Man, I like that one. I would be super comfortable with that because that's in my comfort zone. <laughs> you know, like, I don't ever, in fact, uh, when we were in missions, Reagan and I, I did not like door-to-door witnessing at all. Like, it, you know, everybody has their own opinions about how effective it is. I, I don't like that because I feel like I just don't want people to think that I think they're bad people. And so I'm like, Ooh, I'll just pray them into the kingdom. I'll just love them. I don't want to have any conversation that might make them feel like they're bad people, you know. And I think that's actually very good. I think when we go, go forward with the gospel, I think that is a good way to be is we don't want to be offensive you know, Paul even said, I become all things to all people, so I might win some. So the goal is to win people's hearts so that they see the love of Jesus. So I think that's okay. But the world makes it a rule that we just have to be quiet. And if you say anything that would go against any ideology, what would happen in our day and age? Think about it. And so that's the, that's the gospel of the world. Just live and let live. But the gospel of Christ, the Bible talks about the, the gospel being offensive and foolish. It will never be loving or popular to those who can't understand it. It is loving. But we love anyway. We sacrifice anyway. The Bible says we, we, we love those who despitefully use us. That's how the gospel looks. Um, the, last, the last thing is the gospel the world accepts is you don't meet our standard, you're canceled. This is very dangerous, and it's an overcorrection and a very, very um, demonic thing that comes in, the, comes in the name of accountability. And it's real quiet, but you know. Because accountability through God's word, it's all about Jesus coming to redeem what's broken. And we sang it to make beauty for ashes, to make something really beautiful. And what the world is saying is coming in the light of accountability, but then it's saying, you're done. You're, you're, good. you're done for. It's over. Which is the very opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm all for accountability. Publicly, Entertainment-wise, I'm all for accountability, but we have got to get accountability right because the world's looking to see how we handle accountability and the things we're saying on social media about accountability. And we can get swept up in the, in the same thoughts to think it's all good just because it sort of looks like something we're doing. So church, it's not, I don't have a whole lot left, but the thing I felt like the Lord has really put on my heart is that... God is for us, 
The Bible says if God is for us, then what? Who can be against us? Who can be against us? Man, I love Jesus. I love him so much. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. I accepted the Jesus when I was a little girl. I have followed his ways. I've anchored in. There have been times where I waited on the Lord till I thought I was going to die inside. And he's come through time and time and time and time and time and time again. He is word is true. He can be trusted. And this gospel is not always easy. It's not always safe. I think of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. I know some of you have seen it, some of you haven't. But there's the lion, and it represents God. And, and it's a fierce lion, and he's larger than life and so sweet. But then he has this roar um, in the movie. And when he, he roars, it, like, shakes, it, like, it, it, you know, the enemy, it's, like, trembling and all the things. And it's just this fierce. But these kids are up at the lion, and they're talking about Aslan, who's the, um, who's the lion, and somebody said, uh, he's not safe, but he's good. That's God. Walking with God is not always safe, but let me tell you, people are dying in the world every day, and it's way more dangerous. He is not always safe, but he is good. And he is not always coming through in the minute that we want him to, to give us what we want. But he comes through in his timing because his ways are perfect and his timing's perfect. And you cannot have God's perfect timing with his perfect promise without his perfect timing. Then it's not perfect. God is good. He is good in this season where everything seems to be very, very stinky, if I'm honest. He is good in seasons where we don't feel good, too. But the Bible says when we have eyes to see, we see him. What, are, what do we have eyes to see, church? Because you're seeing what, what you're filtering. When you have a filter, that's what you see. And some of us have lost our gospel filter and our love filters, and we are as chaotic as the world. And the Bible says we are the hope of the world. And if we don't have hope in ourselves and we don't look different, then what's the world going to do? Because we're dying off too. So Jesus is saying, like, you know what? Don't be afraid. This is what's going to happen. Church, don't let yourself get disoriented. Anchor into the gospel of Jesus Christ. When anything does not sound right in your spirit, do not receive it. Go to the word of God. Don't listen to me. Listen to the word of God. Paul said that in the New Testament. People were following Apollos and all these different leaders. And they were kind of like, I'm in this camp. I'm in this camp. And Paul even said, like, follow me as I follow Christ. Meaning, if I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. You guys have got to be self-feeders. You have got to follow Christ and feed on his word in relationship with him. So let's stand up. I'm going to hush. How many of you are going to want a corn dog? Nobody. Nobody. They're, I'm told they're not good. I like them. Okay. So, Lord, I thank you for your promises. The Bible says that your promises are yes and amen. Man, I've tasted and seen your goodness. I have tasted it and I've seen it. And God, I want my feet to be anchored in your truth. I pray for all my brothers and sisters 
God, that their feet, that their heart would be so anchored into you that when the world comes, God, that they're not shaken or even tempted to believe because they are, they are really just anchored into your goodness and your grace. Lord, I pray against the lies of the enemy of our youth. God, I, I pray that in a time like right now, where they have not known a world other than what they're living in, you would put a hedge of protection over their minds. God, I pray that from, from the time they wake up till the time they go to sleep, God, that they would just continue to stir up who you say they are. That every voice would be quiet but your voice. And Lord, that they have to cultivate that. Lord, give them a, a desire and a drive to cultivate relationship and conversation with you, God. I pray that they would not feel condemned in the areas where they've had failure. But God, I pray that they would feel empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for our young adults who have so much passion and God have so much vision and so much drive and in so many ways just live in frustration because they don't know what to do with it all. Lord, would you direct all the passion and all the drive and all the hunger and all the thirst to change the world, Lord? I pray that they would change the world. The Lord, for every mom in the house, God, would you touch every heart and encourage them? Lord, don't let the moms of the house and the women of the house become so social on social media that they don't know how to do life with real people. God, I pray, Father, that, that Lord, you would strengthen their hearts. Lord, that their hearts would be so bound in this gospel. Lord, that their children, Lord, would rise up, that they wouldn't have to Lord, just fight battles to just know truth. But Lord, that as much as a mom, a grandmother, an aunt, as much as we can do, we are laying out truth so they don't have to fight just to know it. But Lord, that we're speaking it over them. For every man in this house, Lord, every man, whether he's laid back or he's high energy, is a warrior. Every man has mission. Every woman has mission, but every man in this house, I just sense this word, like you have a mission and God, God has a purpose for you. And I pray that no man in this house would be content to be a sitter and a watcher, but also a doer of God's word. In Jesus' name, I pray for every little one in this house to grow up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, because the, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And Lord, as they fear you, it's, it's not a fear that's like, oh, I'm afraid of God, but that they're gonna have this awe and reverence that is so missing in this world of a holy God. And they're gonna experience your power and your presence. For every marriage, I pray God a blessing. I pray that the enemy would get a foothold in Jesus' name. We trust you with our lives. Thank you for this gospel in Jesus' name, amen.